Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor for this show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today I'm so thankful to have joining me Shadrach Owar. He is the uh, pastor or rector, as the title above his office door as I was coming in, uh, says of Grace Episcopal Church located in Port Huron, Michigan. So thank you so much for joining me, Shadrach. Well, let's just get right into it. I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and what you felt your call to the pastoral ministry was. Um, <clears throat> thank you so much for for having me on the show. Um, my name, as you have already mentioned, Shadrach O'War, and I am priest in charge at Grace Episcopal Church. Um, I am... A child of a pastor, so I'm a pastor's kid, and growing up in, in in a pastor's home, the last thing I ever wanted to be was a pastor, and so, um, I don't know whether that's a good place to begin when discussing the call to ministry, but, um, my dad is a retired priest in the Anglican Church of Kenya. That's where I was ordained uh, a little over fifteen years ago, and um. I wanted to be a medical doctor growing up as a child, and part of the reason for that was um, I wanted to make a lot of money, and <laughs> I just felt like I needed to have a little different kind of life because signing up for ministry was considered um, by most back then. Still, it still it does in in Kenya as signing up for poverty, and so. Um, I wanted to be a medical doctor. I wanted to lift the life standard of my family from where it was. But also, my mom was sickling, and I just never understood why all these medical doctors could not heal, heal her. So I wanted to be a doctor and take care of her once and for all, you know, just make sure she's well. But uh, it was in until I got into high school that I... Um, <clears throat> got involved in student ministry at the school and got into Christian Union leadership at the school that I, ministering to my fellow students, I felt that there was a need to be involved in ministry and, you know, just seeing how much need there was. And so I went and talked to my chaplain back then who encouraged me to be a doctor. <laughs> um... Then I went and talked to my dad, uh, who was still a priest by then. He hadn't retired. Uh, he was still in active ministry, and he also encouraged me to be a doctor. I went and talked to my bishop, um, and he also encouraged me to just be a doctor. <laughs> but the <clears throat> the calling was, uh, I think, strong that I felt, okay, now this is this is what I want to be. So my um, my bishop my bishop let me hanging for about three years, sort of to grow up. I was only 20 at the time. Um, I, you know, after high school, I was 20 years old when I wanted to join ministry. And so he said, okay, you you go grow up a little bit. We only admit people in seminary training, of, you know, at the age of 25. That was, apparently you could not go to seminary before you were 25. But 
Um, so that is that is how I eventually got into ministry. My calling came through ministering to my fellow students and just realizing how there was so much need for ministry out there. But also, um, the other thing I looked at um, was the I examined people who seemed to have a lot of money, according to me at the time, and my parents, and looking at the life they were leading in their homes, I felt I liked the peace my parents enjoyed and said, I actually want to have that. Mm. So both ministry, seeing the needs on the ground, but also seeing the peace that my parents experienced in their, in their lives, in their family life. I felt inspired that um, I also wanted to have that kind of life. So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, you get to that point, you're now 25. So share a little bit about your seminary journey and experience. It's a journey I'm, you know, participating in right now. Mm-hmm. And what did that look like for your context leading up towards ordination? Um, I went to seminary in the year 2003 in August that's that's when I began my seminary schooling and um, of course there was a little bit of ministry, youth ministry involvement in between um, but I went to sem- I'm originally of course from Kenya but I had I went to Uganda Christian University that is where I went for my um, ministry training and um being involved in in ministry at the university as well um i i started serving in the chapel on my first day of getting to the seminary really i go to the university and um it was way beyond you know admission time so a friend took me in i mean he became a friend later on i did not know him back then but he was the um, we called him senior warden at the time. He was the student chapel leader. So he took me into his room and gave me one of the beds in his room that was free. So that's where I spent the night before I registered the following day. And uh, But that evening, he, he needed to go and set up in the chapel. And I had, I mean, I did not know anybody. So I went with him to set up the chapel uh, before I registered as a student. And so... Um, that's that's where I ended up staying until you know doing ministry until the end of my four years at the mm-hmm. at the university. I was involved in um, uh, student ministry as a as a warden. Eventually, took over his position as senior warden. And uh, as senior warden, my work back then was mainly to ensure the chapel is ready for worship, ensure that the music is well selected, the choirs that need to be there. Uh, you know, for for services are there. The people who are supposed to lead worship um, uh, are going to be there and and helping the university chaplain in just co- communicating and coordinating the speakers mm-hmm. who are coming to speak to the student mm-hmm. community. So I saw, sort of got involved in ministry at the university all through my four years um, until I graduated in 2007 then uh, from there, I went straight into pastoral ministry in, in, in a congregation. And what does some of that, um, you know, one of the fascinating things about talking to people from so many different denominations is mm-hmm. hearing about the different ordination process. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, there are some that are very, very light <laughs> with mm-hmm. really not much to happen before ordination. And then mm-hmm. there's other ones that are more very lengthy and rigorous. So, so what does that ordination process look like, um, in, uh, in the Anglican church of Kenya? Is that the same across the Anglican communion? Um, so what was your ordination experience and process particularly? So, um, first of all, before going to seminary, there is, you communicate your interest to the leadership of the church. Um, for most of the time, most people, it's either you are your pastor, and then your pastor would have a conversation with the with the elders of the church, and then the elders of the church would give a recommendation. And that's why, for me, I I first spoke to my school chaplain when I began the whole thing, um, because that was the process. But it was also part of um, it's part of a discernment journey. Um, so we have, you know, back in Kenya, we have several congregations being led by one minister. So you like, you have a pastor taking care of, um, three, 10, five congregations. And so the pastor goes around. So we, but this other, the individual congregations are led by lay ministers. We call them evangelists. Um, uh, it's the catechist equivalent of the, of the Catholic church. And so we would, um, you know, talk to to my ch- local congregation, my local congregation after endorsing my, my my desire for ministry and thinking that, yeah, we think you have a call. I went to the next stage where my call was considered at the um, parish level. Parish level is where, that's where now the one pastor brings all the other congregations reporting to, to the priest. Um, and then the, the priest also brings together a group of elders again, uh, representatives from different congregations to also just discuss, the, interview you and see if, you, if they think you indeed have a call for ministry. And then um, at the end of it, we have um, the Anglican Church um, is is led by bishops, so you are, they recommend you to the bishop again, and then the bishop calls puts together a, a ministry team that um, uh, we call we call it in Kenya the bishops examining chaplains. So they interview you again and just to establish that they think you have a call for ministry from their conversations with you, and then they recommend that you go for training. During training, <coughs> um, every time during the you know the vacation days, I would go to, I'll be attached to a congregation and work under uh, a priest as well. Mm. And each priest I worked under had to write a recommendation as well. They would write a report about me. Uh, so I had three of those while in, while in seminary. And then uh, after that, I had the final interview uh, with the bishops examining chaplains to establish if I still had the call after four years of training. <laughs> Um, that is when I then went into, you know, I was ordained and, uh, began, um, ministry. So what does that ministry work look like, particularly in an Anglican context, uh, kind of on the day to day? Um, and then in a minute, you know, I want to hear about what brought you to the United States. So maybe in contrast to pastoral ministry in America. Um, before I reported to my first ministry station, I 
I talked to my dad, who had been a priest for, for several years. Um, he was a priest before I was born. So <laughs> I I talked to my dad and asked him, so what what does a pastor do? What is the work of a pastor? And he said, um, you know, the pastor's office is where the pastor is. And I did not fully understand what that meant, so I asked him to explain, and he said, um, as a pastor, people talk to you whenever they meet you. And that is a ministry context in, in, in Kenya. You you are a pastor 24-7. You are believed to be in, on duty 24-7 as a, uh, as, as a soldier of Christ. You are believed to be working every day, every hour, every minute. So um, people will stop you on the way and have a conversation with you about an issue they have that needs counseling or on the market, people will stop you and talk to you. Uh, people will come to the um, to the office, you know, during the office days. Like I will have <clears throat> a couple of days when I will be in the office. Um, that is besides, you know, having meetings for administrative conversations and and planning. Um, but also, pastoral ministry involved uh, back in Kenya. Ministry involved. Uh, almost i would say door to door visitations for well, you know with with the parish parish members uh, members of the congregation we would set a, a day we would say like next week we are going to visit this congregation but we will be visiting the homes in this particular area we will visit them on this particular day and we just just walk around and meet the people in their homes and you know just see how they are doing and talk to them about whatever it is they want to talk about, pray with them about their needs, uh, but also share with them what's happening at the church, you know. And so sometimes we would do like 30 minutes in a home, 20 minutes in another home, one hour in another home, depending on what the conversation brings. And so um, that was uh, the ministry that I, that I was involved in. That's how we were, we were working uh, in, in, in the parish context. But I have to add that uh, besides um, working in the parish, I was also involved in um, ministry training. And so I was involved in teaching and preparing ministers for, for ministry as well. And so I went into, um, after serving in the congregation for about two years, I went into teaching, Bible college teaching. And uh, I did that for in total for about um, about three years before I went back to parish ministry, but I also, so I was almost bivocational at the time, um, serving both in the congregation and also teaching. Um, and for me, that was not just because of the passion, it was also because the teaching job was raising the income that I I could live on. And then it will support me to do the ministry because ministry wasn't wasn't paying that much and so uh, i needed a second a second job and most most ministers especially in the rural parts of of kenya um they have to do something extra in addition to their ministry to to raise their upkeep 
because most ministry is considered um, is considered voluntary, hmm. and so well coming to coming to America, um, I have basically most of my time is you know I besides pastoral duties that require me to go outside the office, most of my time is spent um, in the office uh, meeting with people making calls to people who have requested for prayer or new members or people who have visited the church. I would take some time to call them and just get to connect with them and see if if there's any way the church, as a church, we can be supportive of their ministry, of their lives, and, and if they will be interested in... Because sometimes people come here and they say, okay, I have been... I was involved in ministry in this congregation for this duration of time. I'm now retired but available. Is there any ministry I can be involved in? Um, I have had people from the congregation as well coming up and saying, okay, I have been going to this church for this long, um, but I'm at a point where I feel I need to do something. What what, what can I do? You know, Is there any kind of ministry I can be involved in? And so um, I, I help through conversations. I help them identify what they think they would like to do. And so but that stems from my belief that my calling as a pastor is to be an enabler to enable people to do their ministry as they as they serve as they serve God mm. and so yes they come to church we minister to them but as we are so so Jesus calls his disciples first to himself to be with him to be formed by him to be his disciples but after that he then sent them out and so um as i go into a congregation my first question is how how am i helping the people to grow into disciples Mm -hmm. and then after that begin to challenge them to move forward and be involved in ministry and ministry beyond our doors and so we have people involved in ministry beyond the congregation, and so that's mm. that is something I am passionate about. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So I'd love now to hear uh, the process, the story, because there, there's always a story. There's always yes. more to the story. Yeah. So what what's the story that brought you to Port Huron, Michigan, uh, from the other side of the world? Well, this is 2020. Th- Three, I first came to America in 2010. Um, back then, I was on an exchange program with, you know, Uganda Christian University and the school I went to here in in the United States. I came to the U.S. for one year and then went back for a second year in Uganda uh, to, so I did my tutorials and coursework in the States and then did my tutorials and co- I mean my thesis in in Uganda um, so at the time my thought was that's all I had to do with America I did not believe that I was meant to come back to the US so after my training I went back to to Kenya to serve in in, in the church um, so I was involved back then in you know, after I went back, after my graduation, I went back to Kenya and involved in ministry, congregational ministry again, but also leading a training institute in the 
in my home diocese, which is like the regional area of, 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 of the country. And so I was involved in that. I did that for a little while. And then um, I received another an invitation, really, to come back to the same school I had gone to, Trinity School for Ministry in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was invited to come back and do a second master's in preparation for for doctoral studies with the hope that I will go into um, the academia, to go into teaching. So I, but at the time, I, my wife and I had decided we were going to settle back in, in, in Kenya. We wanted to be in one place at least for a longer period and pursue our ministry ministry growth so i came back uh to the u.s and in 2017 and uh it is during that time that fellow students began asking me the question is it possible that the lord is calling you to serve him in the u.s and my response to them at the time was i don't see how but the conversations kept coming from different students, not just one, not just two. Um, and so that's when I began thinking, oh, so maybe there's that possibility I might, um, the Lord might indeed be calling us to serve him here. And we began conversations with, uh, with my wife, Aklin, uh, who at the time was in Kenya, was here and she had remained in Kenya. And so we had begun conversations and said, okay, maybe let's work out a way for her to come and go to school as well. Then during that time, by the time she graduates, we will have, if the Lord wants us to serve here, we would have found a way of how, how to do it. Um, that was not to be. My wife came to visit in December of, uh, November of 2018. But just after being here for one month, my mom, my mom died in Kenya and we had to travel back to Kenya for her funeral. Uh, but during that time, I had also begun, I had, been, I had applied and been admitted to uh, another master's program. That's now going to be the third master's program in, in, in Grand Rapids. But, but that was with the hope of... Um, you know, I was to do one semester on the master's level and then go into the PhD program. So I was really working towards going fully into the academia. Um, <clears throat> so that's the direction I felt the Lord was leading me. But now students, you know, these conversations I was beginning to have with, so I also began asking people as well, uh, elders in ministry, you know, if if they felt that the Lord might be indeed calling me into ministry in this country. Um, so when, while in Kenya, in, when, after my mom's funeral, my wife and I felt like we needed to stay at least for some time and help my dad come to terms with my mom's passing. Um, so after the funeral, we stayed in Kenya for a year. And during that time, we were trying to resist coming back to the U.S. because we felt we just needed to settle back in Kenya and build ourselves and in ministry. And because most of my training had been outside the country, at least I wanted to be involved in ministry across the country so that people can, I can get to know people in, in the Anglican church in, in the whole country. 
Um, but again, um, you know, we I had already been accepted into a, um, another program here, and so we kept asking ourselves, how do we balance this? So we decided the test we were going to give God, like Gideon, uh, was we were going to pray and ask God that um, if it is God's will that I serve him in this country, that he will make a way for both my wife and I to come. And immigration is not as simple as people make it sound like on TV. Um, coming to America legally is more difficult um, than coming in illegally. And so, uh, but we wanted to come in legally. And so that made it a little, a little process a little harder. <laughs> um, but we prayed and said, this is the fleas, you know, like Gideon's fleas. We are giving God this test. If God can figure out the immigration stuff, <laughs> we will come back to the U.S. and serve him here. And so to cut the long story short, God did work it out. We came back to the U.S., went into Grand Rapids and uh, began this program. But during that time, I got um, my scholarship ran out before I completed the program. So I went into hospital chaplaincy training, and that's where I did my clinical pastoral education at Covenant Healthcare in Saginaw, um, here in Michigan. And so it's from Covenant that I began conversations with the bishop of the area and said, um, we are here, we feel like the Lord wanted us to be here, but we do not know where and how, but I'm an ordained minister in Kenya, and so um, Grace Episcopal was one of the congregations that were looking for ministers and so they sent our information here and interviewed with grace for the position and um we're grateful to god i did not have to interview for another with another congregation so here we are here we are and now yeah. it's almost to 2024 at the time of recording so yes what what do you see as kind of the biggest chain differences and changes if you know if there's one or two things that you could pinpoint um you know, there, there's going to be a lot of, yeah, surface differences between serving a congregation in Kenya compared to congregations in America, but it's really the things that kind of go beneath the surface of kind of the culture iceberg, so to speak. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. what, are, what are some of those um, differences as shepherding a flock or being, being the local pastor for a, for a church here? Um, <clears throat> I think my main challenge or main difference has been um, balancing the um, well still cultural balancing the very individual culture mm. in America and the very communal aspect of culture in in Kenya you know everybody in Kenya knows everybody and people in the parish, you know, in the congregation, everybody knows everybody. And um, you can almost, um, you know, make a decision that is going to be favorable to everyone because of the communal aspect of it. Um, ministry in, in America and especially being here at Grace is very individualized that you have to um, figure out what works for each individual person um, and that makes it a bit difficult in you know when it comes to making 
decisions at a congregational level because whatever decision you make is going to offend someone it's not going you know there are people who are going to like it there are people who are not um but then the other thing that i have also found um is the the challenge that religion has been in america affiliated with political parties mm-hmm. and that just makes it a bit um a bit difficult especially when you when like for me when i'm preaching i'm thinking am i am i preaching a democratic sermon or am i preaching a republican sermon and <laughs> and I, i hope no minister has to do that uh, but yeah. but but you find that at the end of the service there will be somebody who will say oh that was um you know that felt like you were leaning on this particular side of the political divide and i try as a minister not to affiliate myself with political parties mm-hmm. um i believe that um um especially since i'm not yet an american uh, the american population has you know people already know who they want to vote for yes if i can preach christ and preach christ crucified uh Yes, he will be a stumbling block to many like he was to the Jews. Uh but proclaim Christ as the power that brings salvation mm-hmm. for us who believe. I think for me that is um that is my goal and so I have even said it on the pulpit before that he had grace that um I believe my role here as a minister is to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. And hopefully through my ministry people will know who Christ is and and come to faith mm-hmm. and and so <clears throat> um even in my conversations with people i have and i continue to emphasize the fact that everything we do as believers wh- wherever the lord places us whether it is in the church whether it is in the marketplace that it has eternal consequences and so for that person who comes to clean the church for that person who comes to read a lesson or that person who comes to sing in the choir that for them to realize that they are contributing to something eternal i think for me if i can achieve that mm-hmm. um then I will have succeeded in my ministry but again in 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 a culture that um in in a culture that you know looks at Sunday as the day we go to church and the rest of the week we do everything else I uh we in in, in Kenya we are more uh, we we we've been you know everything has a spiritual connection mm-hmm. and so um yes it is cultural but there's a way in which our I I believe that this that culture prepared the African or the Kenyan person the Kenyan Christian for Christianity because mm-hmm. um it helps like for me to see God in everything that I do mm-hmm. uh, and asking myself how is this impacting mm-hmm. my life how is it impacting somebody else's life mm-hmm. especially in view of the eternal mm-hmm. 
certainly uh, appreciate that, and it reminds me of the phrase that we're always being catechized. The question mm-hmm. is, catechized by what? And yeah, maybe that's for, that's for true, a lot yeah. of us, we're more catechized by the world than the, than we think, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and needing that transformation. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a Charles Spurgeon quote I love. He talks about living in the Bible, but reading many good books. And you uh-huh, know, we've been uh-huh. transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. But what yeah. have been some of those good books um, that you've appreciated and, and enjoyed over the years? Um, there's a, a book I do not have here with me. Um, I it's it's the courage to teach. Um, that is that is one book that has been um, has been very helpful. I need to one the first time I read that book, um, it it talked about the minister being vulnerable um, to be able to help um, the people that you're ministering to. The Courage to Teach by, um, I'm looking at the title now, by Parker Palmer. Mm. And thinking in terms of um, how does my life impact the people I am ministering to. Mm-hmm. But then if my life is going to min- to impact somebody else's life, then it means they need to know who- my life. Mm. And as a minister, being vulnerable to the people you are leading, to the congregation you are serving, um, it's, it's one difficult thing to do and it can be risky. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who will see your vulnerabilities as a weakness. There are those who will see them as a as a strength or as something they can connect to and grow. Uh, but then Parker Palmer talks about using that as an opportunity to help others see that they can come to where you are. If they, if you have been where they are, but you have grown to be the minister that you are, then they too have a chance mm-hmm. in connecting with the faith and growing from their point of weakness to their point of strength where you are as, as a minister. Um, <clears throat> other books, uh, I have um, two more titles. Um, Taking Care, these are more with regards to Pastor Care mm-hmm. by Carrie Doring. Um, and and this Carrie Doring, yes, talks about looking at the power dynamics, but also the relational aspects of pastor care. Mm-hmm. And uh, that book has been very helpful in in shaping my relationships um, in ministry. The American culture is not very relational in terms of, uh, you know, pastor relation, pastor care. And so for me, pastor care is close to my heart. And so I use that as the opportunity to reach out to people and uh, individuals. People don't want to be asked questions about their faith. People don't want to be asked questions about their lives. They just want to come to church, do their thing and go. And then I'm, But then I'm saying, no, but as your minister, I need to be involved in your life. I need to walk with you in your faith. I need to be there for you when you need uh, support. And the people say, no, I don't need support. I'm saying, no, you, 
if you don't need support, somebody else needs it. So can we be relational beings? Can we interact with others and talk about our lives and see how our lives are impacting the lives of others? And then um, the other one is um, Robert Dykstra's book, Images of Pastor Care, and looks at the different um, roles and images that we, we and you know, we reflect as ministers. I, the most common that people know is the wounded healer, and um, thinking in terms of the fact that we have gone through the the pain, we have experienced the wounds that other people have experienced, and we can then use that those experiences to help them heal. Um, <clears throat> There's one more book that I will need to find you the exact information, details about listening, um, active listening in pastor care. And that book was very instrumental for me in that it helped, um, it helped me to connect with stories that people tell hmm. as part of their healing experience and sharing their stories. For example, I was working in... Um, in the hospital as a chaplain and I went and met this lady who started talking to me about her grandmother. And she told me her grandmother's experience and how her grandmother died. Um, <clears throat> not giving any information about the person, but she, she shared her story and talked about how, you know, her mother was suffering, but she was going through the same illness that her grandmother was suffering from. Mm. So apparently she was talking about herself but sharing her grandmother's life story. Mm. So in active listening, I was able to connect that to her experience and then asked, okay, so are you feeling like since your grandmother had this illness and ended up dying, you too feel like you're going to die, just like your grandmother. And that helped mm. to connect with her emotions. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think these, these, are some of the, these are some of the books that have been instrumental in my, in my pastoral and, 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 and spiritual journey. Um, coming from, from Kenya, we are, we are more an oral culture than a reading culture. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my spiritual development and formation has a lot to do with the impact I have received from spiritual mentors, people who have walked the faith with mm -hmm. me, people who have inspired my life. And I'm thinking about my dad is one such example. I did mention my father as I was mm -hmm. talking about my call to ministry. And he's the, he still is the most spiritual person I have ever known. And he is um, still the most humble person I know. Mm. I usually tell him that his spirituality and humility challenge me. Mm. I don't think I would ever live up to, mm. to my dad's faith. Mm. Well, thank you for, for sharing that and for sharing those books. Uh, those books will actually be listed in the show notes so anybody can find those and uh, hopefully benefit uh, from, from what's contained in there. Well, 
Uh, Shadrach, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your story, your call, and your journey to, to where you are here today. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And um, I hope that uh, God continues to grow this ministry and that others will be inspired by Well, amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, the sponsor of the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast, where our goal and our mission is to encourage those who are interested, pursuing, or already in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who have gone before. You can find the show wherever you are listening now. Episodes come out every single Wednesday, so subscribe so you get those notifications about when those episodes drop. Share the show with your friends and family. Share it with your pastor, and we'll see you on the next episode. God bless.